Welcome to Say That Podcast, where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. Joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the founder of Mission USA. Okay. Joining us also is the director of Mission USA Productions, Jed Brewer. Okay! Joining us all the way from Rutgers to see one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. Okay. I think that's, that's, the, that's, that's the range. Yeah. <laughs> that's running the gambit of that. And gentlemen, we have a good show lined up for you today. Many wonderful questions. But first... I must declare a thought experiment emergency. Ooh, oh, wow. Emergency? We're going to see what we can come up with here. I recently had the uh, the good fortune to eat at a Chicago area restaurant named Kuma's Corner. Ah. One of Jed's favorites for a number of reasons. One is they have the good burgers. And two is it is entirely themed over extremely heavy metal. Yeah. <laughs> okay. From the stuff on the walls to the type of people covered in tattoos who serve you. To the names of the burgers being after Norwegian metal bands. Yeah. It is holding to a theme. Yeah. So, obviously, uh, that that part of the market is cornered. Yeah. And I had an interesting moment of sitting there and looking around and being like, well, I clearly don't belong here. And then it occurring to me that I've hosted <laughs> a heavy metal radio show for about three years now. Right. <laughs> so that's still taking some time to sink in. It, which is broadcast in Chicago. Yes. And also South Florida. Yes. Almost certainly some of those people got in their car and turned on Q-Rock. Right. It's almost a guarantee. But that got me thinking of, it's it's very successful. There's many locations through, there's a couple locations across the Chicagoland area. Could this be transferable? Mm. We have a music-themed restaurant. Okay. Mm. Now, obviously, the, the heavy metal market's taken. Right. So, but it got me thinking, you could obviously do your folk restaurant, your sure. hip hop restaurant. Right. Yeah. Um, but the CCM restaurants. Ooh. K-Love, oh, wow. the culinary experience. I yes. don't think I want to go to any place like that. <laughs> no, but don't you want to sap money out of the people who do want to go there? <laughs> well, there's that. Initial thought, I could Please. sing of your lunch forever. Nice. Oh, wow. that's good stuff. Yeah. Wow. I, yeah. I think that I think this may our audience may be too young to get this reference, but uh, Jed certainly will, and that is that they would most definitely serve the sandy patty melt. <laughs> oh, wow. oh, that's a callback, right? Yeah. There. Yeah. See if you can pinpoint the year that your collective hosts stopped paying attention to CCM radio. So, and then uh uh the and of course, you know, sides named after classic CCMs like the the a side order of uh fries or fries forever. Oh wow. wow, dude. Wow, Stephen Curtis Salmon. Oh, well thing? done. Okay. Well done. Yeah. Something can we do yeah. on that? Yeah, wow. So I think I think pun names are important, and we should certainly anyone who has one just blurt it out, and let's keep a a roster of those going. But also, I think we need to think decor. I think we need to think what's playing on the TVs. I was when I was at Kuma's Corner. You guys know that there's a TV show I used to run out there a few years ago, Dexter. Yeah, like a guy a serial coach. That's what they had playing on the big TV. Like you know, a sports bar would have sports because right. You know, I guess murder is pretty metal. Yeah, pretty metal, yeah. Uh, well, so, but what do we got on that? The, well, I think the interior uh, design of the CCM-themed restaurant is what I would describe as aggressively beige. Okay, I think that's fair. 
like that's beige. Yeah. That's good. That's really beige. Okay. Like, okay. well, I think it. It's also possible that you just have whatever decor was cool four years ago. Oh, there you go. There you go. Or just whatever you would find inside a Hobby Lobby. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, well, that, I think that's uh, what is in a Hobby Lobby. That, well, is, that, 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 is, cool that is aggressively years. beige. Stolen yeah. Mesopotamian artifacts are at the Hobby Lobby, we learned in one of the weirdest news stories of 2017. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking, and this reveals something about me, but I have no shame, is there was a, a decor theme used by the Taco Bell Corporation in the mid-90s, okay. where everything was like blue and green yeah but very kind of oceanic colors uh-huh. right and i'm just i feel like that would be an option right kind of that that 90s uh, you know you remember pack sun the store in yeah, the mall cowabunga dude yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. exactly yeah. right yeah, yeah, yeah. i'm talking mid 90s cowabunga dude and that's kind of the attempt at edginess and hipness you're at talking the CCP about a restaurant. little bit of neon pink yes you know you've got it you've got it you know, roll up your suit sleeves and come on in. This is exactly what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just you you take things that are definitely not cool anymore, and it's like when you go to your what do you call it, like your your Fridays or your Chili's or whatever. Sure, they got sure. the tchotchkes on the yeah, wall. Yeah, absolutely. There you go. It, it's like the tchotchkes <laughs> of Christian culture, <laughs> uh, which is just things that were cool. That used to be, but aren't anymore. The Okiero Jesus T-shirt, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Well, I I actually like a, a fast food restaurant that'll go ahead and serve a hot dog. That's what I like about a Sonic. Okay, you know? sure, yeah, yeah, that's solid. But and you know, not not every fast food restaurant will do that. But I think at the CCM restaurant, they should obviously serve a hot dog, and it's America. But they could call it "How Great Is Our Dog." Oh, dude! Wow, yes, that's solid. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think I think one of the the big uh, marketing issues we're gonna have here is not coming up with pun names that are also blasphemous. <laughs> because I'm I'm thinking of you know you could get the the hot dog with like a little bit of the, the spicy mustard, and our, our dog is a spicy dog. Oh, that's good. Right, that's it's not good. bad. I mean, yeah. it's, it's got the rhythm. Yeah. I think a lot of Rich Mullins based puns are gonna be in here again. Yeah, well, see if you can. I get think us. that I think that when you're when you're asking for, you know, different condiments on the different sandwiches and burgers and stuff, you have to pun theme those as well. It's got to be like, I can only a mayonnaise. Oh, dude. Wow. Wow. That's exceptional. Yes. Wow. If gravy's an ocean, we're all drowning. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Exactly. Definitely. Just, it's just a giant container of gravy. <laughs> that's it, right. That you can yeah. have. Yeah, that's you right. You can have all that gravy. That's right. Start your meal with our delicious David Clam Crowder. That's wow. exceptional. <laughs> That's Thank you. That was very, very well done. Uh, but I think the, the, the main thing about this is that all this food would uh, claim to be nutritional in some way, but wouldn't be, okay. and also not taste good. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> but it would be sort of in a vague way, like, does this taste good to you guys? And be like, I yeah, I think so. I uh, it's like, it, but is it like good though? What? No. Uh, it's like it's pretty. It's you know sometimes I get in the mood for it. <laughs> it's, it's like it's it's better than some of the other things that are on the fast food dial. That's right. Like, 
Well, here, here's something I'd like to throw out there. Of it, 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 I want to be clear, just in case uh, their legal representation listening, Kuma's Corner is not this. The wait staff was wonderful right. and very pleasant. But they did have the kind of the rock and roll look. But there are some places where like they're themed to the way the wait staff reacts sure. yeah, towards yeah. you. Yeah. There's one around here, and I can't remember. Ed DeBevix. Yeah, where yeah. It, the the bit is that they're rude to you. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I, I I have a family. I don't I don't like eating right. food with people who are mean to me. Is not like yeah this weird thing <laughs> yeah. like that I have to go somewhere <laughs> to experience. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, me like a you know a Disney restaurant or something themed for kids, where it's all kind of you know there it's it's a lot of interactive. So I'm thinking. Just really passive aggressive waitstaff. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Just yeah. like constant judgment. But yeah, they're they're judging you though in sort of a Christian sort of way. You're saying. yeah, yeah. That's just it. kind of you know they take your order and the first person that orders him. Oh, you want that? Okay. Oh, hmm. that's fine. Some people <laughs> choose to not do that, and we encourage that. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and I think they they have to be dressed. Yeah, in mid nineties uh, pun Christian t shirts. God's gym, his pain, your game. Yeah, no yeah. doubt about that one. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of kind of the 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 Christian big dog kind of rip off stuff that was that we all as a culture let happen in this yeah. era that we're all responsible for in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's really good. I think um, just. Because we, well, we, we, the, oh, there's an elephant in the room, gentlemen, and I have to mention it. And it's okay. an elephant made of chicken. Okay. Which there is, wow. eh, as Jed mentioned, as we were about to hit record, I said, well, you do a CCM restaurant, that'd be funny. And he said, isn't that basically Chick fil A? And the answer is yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, but in a much more, we're talking about, you know, we're talking about putting it on Front Street a little more here. Right. Um, but, you know, CCM, uh, Chick fil A has the CCM Muzak. Yeah. So we can't Oy. do that. So I'm, I'm thinking the, the playlist. Okay. Do we want to, we could just go roll what's on the Christian radio at the time. We could do solely uh, to, to Glenn's kind of point about what pretended to be edgy, just a, a time capsule of what people thought was going to be the way forward in Christian music. A lot of your kind of proto white boy, Christian hip hop. Yeah. Yeah. That's always good. <laughs> when you do yeah. some of that, we could just, yeah. yeah, just do the big worship stuff. Do we have any specific thoughts on the music? Hmm. Yeah, sort of a, a an early '90s. I love Jesus in every way. Kind oh, that's that good. Kind of, yeah, you know, just yeah, a, a hippity bee. Yes, <laughs> you know that kind of uh, really hip stuff. This is a true thing, and and I you might have missed this, but there was a period in the early '90s where Stephen Curtis Chapman, yes, that Stephen Curtis Chapman. Did a couple of basically rap tracks. Oh no! Where he teamed up with DC Talk. Oh yes, that's I, not. Uh, I can yeah. think of two of them, and I think you could just have those two songs on a loop the entire time. Wow! Yeah. yeah. Well, if you and- don't go run screaming when this happens, this restaurant is for you. <laughs> And this is a good time to point out that the bass player for Stephen Curtis Chapman is a very good, very close friend of ours. Yeah. So, sure. you know. Yes. The, these are things, uh, these are people that we have distant relationships sure. with, and we say it all with love. One of these songs was titled, Got to Be True. The word got, the number two. Oh. The letter B. Oh. 
And true spelled T-R-U. Oh, that's of course. how you be really hip-hop. Yeah. Every single thing you said was more painful than the last thing you said. <laughs> well, let me add to it, then. One of the rappers is Stephen Curtis Chapman. <laughs> oh. <laughs> From Harlan, Kentucky. Yes. Yeah, let's, let's not do that, fellows. You know, yeah. yeah. Well, here, here's, what, here's what it is. It's like you're eating a food. Yeah. And it's like, uh, it's like, does this have any flavor in it? Uh, you know, and you're you're turning to the person. Do you do you taste flavor? Kind of. The other person's like, I think it sort of has flavor. Well, what you're describing is Lacroix, but in food form. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's just. Can uh, can they give you? Uh, Sorry to cut you off there, Glenn. Can they give you like uh, more discounts or or better uh, combos if you order more earnestly? Yeah, I th- I think so. If you, mm, I remember a just, I remember a bit like, exactly. Uh, That's we it. We just like some mashed That's potatoes. Mm. Like yeah, Jed, give us the prayer style that the the Christian style prayer style uh, ordering at the counter of the CCM restaurant. Well, I okay. Okay, let me let me get. Do we have a name for this place? Uh, uh, uh I was gonna say lames, but that seems <laughs> kind of mean. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not gonna pack them in. Uh, y- y- you know. Uh, well, give me a temporary name just for the moment. Let Let's go with lames. Lames. There you go. <laughs> lames waitstaff attendant. We just come to you today, <laughs> and we we just claim that you want for us today. Uh, in, in, in order of French fries, as, as a starter for our table, we, we know that you desire for us to be full. And we believe that that order of French fries will, will bring us to a place of fullness. And we know that you want that for us because you're good. Because you're so good. And we know that that's not, you don't want to stop there, though. You don't want to leave us wanting more. After that, you, you want to bring us a second course of your delicious. <laughs> Let me see if I can get the name right now. David, David Clam Crowder. Nice. Oh, yeah. Serves solely at Lame's. <laughs> And waste staff attendant, we, we are so thankful. We know, we believe that you're going to bring that order to this table and that you're going to bring it soon. So we ask in confidence and we, we are just thankful to be in your presence in this moment <laughs> here at Lames. Too real. Glenn's joy on this is so awesome. Let me, let me just tell you what. The combo is tap water, <laughs> celery, a plain potato, just no salt, just things with no flavor. <laughs> That's the combo. Positive. And then if you if you get if you get the fruit parfait, it's called a uh, berries. Did you know? Oh, nice wow. for the nice. wins. Yeah. Positive, encouraging, bland, flames. <laughs> oh, the lukewarm tap water and the heel of bread, not toasted, just just the heel of the bread. <laughs> yeah, there's. I think we cracked it. Yeah. I think this is going to be great. Um, no, people love being insulted. <laughs> and uh, if Christian <laughs> culture has taught us anything, it's that the people who consume this stuff, uh, they're fine with it. Yeah. On that basis, we will declare emergency off. You know what's not lame? Well, this transition is lame, but Bridgebox isn't. Oh. <laughs> Bridgebox is carefully put together. It's It has flavor. It has... 
Uh, it has artistic merit. It has encouraging stuff to say to you. We're still in the month of June. We're looking at how to build better relationships here in Bridgebox. Sign up $8 a month. MissionUSA.com slash Bridgebox. Get four original songs, Bible studies, sermons from Glenn and myself, a whole lot more. Check it out for yourself. MissionUSA.com slash Bridgebox. All right, we jump to our first question here. Hey, let's all the way to the end. I give some ways you can get in touch with this or you can scroll down into the episode description and click on the links there. First question comes in anonymously and it says, I've messed up a lot. So how do I stop feeling like I don't deserve God's love? That's a really fantastic question. And Lee, where'd we kick off? Um, well, I'll start out by saying that you're in good company. Every single voice that you will hear on this podcast it comes from a person who people who have messed up a lot. There's nobody on this show who would say, I haven't messed up a lot. Everybody has. And so you're in good company. What we would start out by saying is that that uh, if the feeling that you're having is, how do I feel like I've I've deserved God's love? Well, God's love is a gift. It's it's a present. It's like a birthday present. And the great thing about a gift is that you don't deserve a gift. Um, you receive it. And you receive it from somebody who loved you enough to think about you, to think about what you like, to look for something that you would like that would be helpful to you, that would that you would think would be awesome, to to wrap that up for you and give it to you as a gift. And here's the even the better thing about a gift, not only did you not deserve it, and not only did it come from someone who loved you, who paid for it, wrapped it up, and gave it to you, but the only thing you have to to do to cash it in is to open it, just to receive it. You just receive a gift. And that's a very, very good thing. And so, you know, kind of theologically, we want to start there, that actually God's love is just, what the Bible says, it's just a gift. It's a free gift. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to prove anything. You don't have to promise anything. You don't have to earn anything. You don't have to be amazing. You get to just receive it. And that's good. So, uh, but as far as, you know, what you do next, that may not solve like the way you feel about this right now, just hearing those words. And so I would say a couple of things. It's quite possible, one, that you might need to change churches. Um, if you're going to a church where you are being told that you have to earn the love of God or that you are disappointing God or that God is just frowning down on all of your sins and all of that kind of stuff, it may be time to look into uh, changing churches. That may That may be one thing. Uh, two, it may not be the church that you're going to, but it, there may be some voices in your life that you need to silence. Uh, there may be some relationships where you're hearing this kind of stuff and, and you need to get rid of those voices. But one thing that I would say is on moving forward on this and feeling differently about it, to me, one of the quickest shortcuts to feeling different about the love of God is when you actually get out there and you start serving God and meeting other people's needs and you start explaining to somebody else, what the love of God is like. There is this really, really cool verse. I, I, I wonder if you've seen it before. It's in, it's tucked into the book of Philemon, which is just one little chapter. It's this tiny little book where Paul says this really cool thing, where he demonstrates that there is a link between being involved in ministry, where you are telling people and reaching out to people with the with the the love and the the good news of the gospel of God. There's a link between reaching out and actually understanding that gospel for yourself. And that's a really, really cool thing. This is what the verse says. I'm going to read this. This comes from Philemon. It's the sixth verse in that one chapter book. It says, Paul says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith. 
so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. That's really interesting he, that he draws this direct link between sharing your faith and having a deep understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. So if, I, if I'm in a place where I'm not understanding God's love very well for me right now emotionally, one thing I might actually need to do is go out there and start meeting people's needs. Go out there and start taking care of people and serving people and telling people about the love of Jesus. And I will find myself deepening in my own understanding of all the good things we have in Jesus. So maybe you need to change churches. Maybe you need to silence some voices. But maybe it's time to, to go ahead and just start finding some people who need some love, who need some care, who need some attention. And reach out to them with the love of Jesus, asking the Lord to help you, and then you're going to deepen in your own understanding of that gift, that free gift that we have from Him. That's a fantastic place to start this off. That is all really good stuff. And Glenn, we we hear a lot about the idea of God's love as a gift. It's an important point. It's it's true, which is helpful, and it yeah. really is one of those things. Once you once you wrap your mind around that, it can really uh, change the way and have an awesome effect on the way you kind of see your life and your walk with the Lord, but there can, that can all sometimes be wrapped up, wrapped up in. So, you know, you didn't even deserve it. So, right. Think yes. about that part a little bit yes. more, maybe just sit with that and never get to the good <laughs> stuff. Yeah. So how do we move? I, I, to, I totally understand what our friend thinks is like, it's a weird feeling to think, okay, I got a good, I got something I don't deserve. Yeah. And there's never going to be any resolution to that tension, really. So how do we put that aside to do something else? Well, it's a good point because you you realize you're trying to get me to be thankful for this by saying I shouldn't have it, which is kind of weird when you think about it. I mean, I I see your point that I should be grateful because I don't deserve it, but God wants it for me. But you're kind of making it sound like, I I I went through some loophole and got it when I didn't deserve it. I shouldn't have it. That's actually not the case. So that if you come away with that impression out of Christianity, you are mistaken, and you're mistaken about the most important thing in Christianity. So we want to we want to clarify that. Uh, let's start here when we're talking about love, and we're just gonna we're gonna kind of clear the decks with this. Love just is. It mm. exists. That's it. It is in a permanent state of existing. God is love. God loves you. God's love just is. The sun is going to come up tomorrow morning, whether any of us deserve it or not, because the sun is just there. That's how that works. Well, we have this way of thinking that love just kind of comes and goes. It's mercurial. It's who knows when it could happen or what where right. it should show up. Those are emotions. Human emotions do that. Uh, God's love is a spiritual force. It's, it's a virtue that he possesses, that he gives to us. So let's get a sense of the permanence of God's love. The second thing is to recognize you aren't loved because of who you are. You are loved because of who God is. God is love, so he loves you. That's what's going on. You say, well, I'm a screw-up. So doesn't that negate love, because I shouldn't have it, I haven't earned it in some sort of way? Well, as Lee's pointing out, love isn't earned, it is a gift, so that the, the logic of that breaks down. It's not like a parent looks at a child and say, I don't know if I 
I don't know. You just feels like you haven't earned it. I mean, know? just look at you. I mean, you know, Timmy, I need you to give 110% today. I mean, I, you're really just letting me down. I, I don't know if I can love you if you don't step it up a little bit. You know, it just doesn't make any logical sense. That's not how love works. It's not what it love feels is. like me loving you in your current state wouldn't inspire you to be your best self. <laughs> that, that, exactly right. You know, that, these are manipulation uh, thoughts here. A a, a, a a loving parent, a, a, a righteous and godly parent, looks at a child and says, I love you because I'm your dad. I brought you into the world. You're, you're from my body, from my flesh. You're, you're part of me. There's a connection that we have. I couldn't stop loving you if I wanted to. It exists. It's there. It's unchangeable. So I think we have a, a sense of we need to get into that sense of the permanence of love, the unshakableness of love, because it's yeah. it's God's love. It's from Him. He doesn't change, so it doesn't change. It's as inevitable as the sun rising every morning. Uh, but I think the reason why we get stuck on this is we say, I don't want to really, 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 really believe that God loves me, and then wake up tomorrow and find out He thinks I suck. He thinks I need to straighten right. up and clean up my act, and he's angry at me. And I, I don't want to get my hopes up and then have him be crushed again. And if you're in church, uh, uh, in a lot of places, they'll, they'll pull that on you. With a regularity, somebody will get on the microphone and say, hey, God forgives you and everything, and he loves you and everything, but hey, you need to, you need to clean up your act, man. You need to stop looking at that stuff on the internet, man. It's like, oh man, I for a second there, I really thought like God really just loved me, and turns mm. out the main message He has for me is stop being the way you are, you know. But the the reality is one of the most profound things in Scripture is is this line: "Love never fails." It's right in the middle of a lot of stuff yeah. where He's talking about love that. You probably hear in weddings more than anything else. But right in the middle of that, it says, love never fails. It, what he's saying is, and he also says in that same passage, the love hopes all things. It, it, this idea that you, you wouldn't get your hopes up that love would be there and then find out later that it will fail to be there. That's, that just does not exist. That is not how God's love is. If you decide today that God's that that you love God and God loves you and that it doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter about deserve one way or another, you just have it because it just exists. Anything you find out to the contrary is going to be a lie and you can feel free to reject it because you can know that at no point in the future God will wake up and say I don't love you anymore because you don't deserve it. Absolutely. That is beautiful stuff. That is fantastic. And Jed, let me close this out here because I think I wonder if one of the things that might be holding us back on this is the idea that love is a bit hard to pin down. Mm. So we're talking about, as, as Glenn was talking about, a lot of um, concepts. We're not being very concrete mm-hmm. when we talk about, when any of us talk about love, so de- deserving love and receiving it and having it. All that's a bit ephemeral. Sure. Can we actually do something to kind of get this moving? I think we can. Let's start 
with a metaphor just to have something we can sink our teeth into and then we're going to come back to love directly. So if you woke up tomorrow morning and you went on your phone and you took a look at your checking account and you had $100 million just suddenly sitting in there, it's just the ledger had been updated and you are now a hundred millionaire. I think it's worth doing a thought experiment of what you would do. I mean, the first mm. thing you do is you would contact the bank and you would explain this is a mistake and, this, and I don't deserve this. And it, this shouldn't be this way. And then the bank would say, no, it, 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 it is. You, you have this. this. This is your money. And you say, okay, well, I got to pay the taxes. And the bank says, well, it's, it's all paid. It's, you just have $100 million. just free and clear. Okay, so you can think of the first couple of things you'd do. I mean, you'd pay your student loans in one go. And you'd buy that thing you've had your eye on for the last year that you thought was kind of silly. But, you know, now you totally have the money. And you'd, you'd go out to a restaurant, you know, and you'd buy a better car and then you'd buy a place to live and then you'd buy a few other things, a few other things, and a few other things, and a few other things. But at the end of it, it turns out a hundred million dollars is so much money. It would be like you had spent none of it. You, you, right. You'd buy basically everything you, you ever wanted. It would take you like a year and a half. And just from the interest, you'd be back where you started. You'd, you'd, and now you'd be in this weird position where you've kind of bought everything you've ever wanted and all of your needs are taken care of but you still have this enormous amount of money. So what are you going to do with it now? And hopefully what you would do in that moment is you would say, well, gosh, how do I help somebody else? I mean, given that all of my needs are met and given that I kind of have everything I've ever wanted, surely there's something I can do for somebody else. We, we hope that's what you would do. And if you listen to this podcast, I'm pretty sure if that happened to you, that's what you would do. Here's why I go through all of that. Everything we just described is, is actually kind of how it works with, with God's love, right? So we all have a need for someone to accept us, a need for someone to understand us, a need for someone to appreciate us, a need for someone to want us, a need for someone to value us. And to be clear, you have those needs, and they are needs. They are not preferences. They are not things that would be nice. Yeah. Those are needs. Uh, it, will, it will cause you problems in your life if you don't believe that those are things that you have. We all have those needs. And and a lot of us, the problems that we get into, they come from trying to meet those needs in, in imperfect ways that aren't going to work terribly well. And God's love is means all of those needs are met. You have someone, just like Glenn and Lee were saying, who always wants you maximum strength, who always appreciates you, to the fullest, who always understands you to the depths of your soul, every hair on your head, always appreciates you, always values you, all of that, that not only are, are those needs met, they are 100% met all the way. So with that in mind, at least in my life, but I think this is true for other people as well, the way that love works is it overflows. Just like if you had that huge bank account, at a certain point I say, look, I, I am accepted and I am embraced and I am wanted and I am desired, but I've still got all this excess love that's been given to me, just like the excess money. So maybe I should see what I can do with that for somebody else. Because I mean, I bought 18 Ferraris. I can only drive so many of them. Maybe someone else has needs I could do something about. And maybe somebody else needs yeah. a Ferrari. Maybe someone else needs a Ferrari um, and, and not a secondhand Ferrari. I can get him a good one. All right, so here's the thing. We can actually do that with love. We talked about the need to be understood, desired, accepted, embraced, valued. You, as Christ's ambassador, can go extend that love to someone else. 
you can go to someone who hasn't experienced being loved and valued and embraced and accepted and appreciated, and you can do those things for them. You can value them. You can appreciate them. You can love them. You can accept them. And you can do that not because you're such an amazing person who's just naturally loving, but because this infinite amount of love has been deposited in your bank account. Whenever you need more, you can just grab it. You just, you just get it and you hand it to them. And now they have it. And then you just grab more and then you hand it to the next person and so on and so forth. And this goes right back to what Lee started us with, which is when we go and help people, a funny thing happens. The first is we are passing on this love of God. So we almost kind of trick ourselves into accepting that we have it in order to pass it on. Because you can't really pass it on if yeah. you don't have it. So we, we kind of have to, you know, agree, even if we're trying to not think about it, that we, we do have it. And then in a way that I think it, at least in part, is supernatural, and this is part of what the Bible is, is talking about, is when we see another person take hold of that love, and we got to be involved in that process, and we can see the impact that, that love has on them, we kind of get to enjoy it all over again. That's right. We get to appreciate it all over again. Again, in a way that at least in part, I think is supernatural. Yeah, and it kind of becomes more real to us. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Um, And that's what we want to see you do. Here's what we can guarantee you. The endless navel-gazing and contemplation of, you know, I am a worm, yet thou desirest me. That actually doesn't go anywhere. It it just doesn't, you know. I mean, yes, you've made mistakes. God loves you anyway. Um, where we're going to start to get some traction is when we actually get in motion with that, when we figure out how to take that huge overflow and extend it to other people and let them experience it. You may not feel like you belong at the party, but when you get to invite other people to the party, it changes how you feel about the party, and that's what we want for you. I think that's really all fantastic stuff. And I love that analogy of, of the bank account because if you woke up tomorrow and you had a hundred million dollars to, to Glenn's point about it, oh, I don't want to realize that none of this is true. If you still tr- lived like you had $500 in your checking account, it would not really match up. You wouldn't have any of the freedom or any of the security or any of the, the good stuff that comes with that thing. So at some point, um, and it's easier said than done. It is a process, but at some point you do have to accept that this good thing is true. And uh, a lot of the the thought processes these guys gave you, and a lot of the practical actions these guys gave you, will help on that. Because as Jed's pointing out, once you start acting on something, it actually becomes a lot easier to accept that it's true, as opposed to just kind of sitting around thinking hard about it. All right, we jump to our next question here. It comes in anonymously, and it says, "I want to have a good life, but everything I." do to have a good life just made it more of a bad life. Part of me feels like I don't know how to have a good life. I'm always going to mess it up anyway. Part of me feels like a good life just isn't for me. Where's the hope in that? And Glenn, it's kind of, kind of an, a related question in some ways, certainly a similar mindset, but where do we go from this idea? Previously we're talking about God's love. Now we're talking about the actual kind of those practical realities of having a life we want. How mm. does that translate? Well, I think, you know, we all have different things in mind when we talk about a good life, you know, and and I think uh, there's a certain amount of overlap that we all go through. But, you know, I think what we tend to do is we we tend to have 
the kind of answer, if I say, what's a good life to you, uh, the kind of answer we would give out loud and the kind of answer we would have inside our head would probably be pretty different. So let's let's start there. But I think if you asked most people what they would, what a good, full, rich life would be, deep down they would say a life that's full of ego boosts with almost no obstacles. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's a good life right yeah. there. Just, you know, whether that's a su- having success or having wealth or having a little bit of fame or having a promotion or uh, winning the championship, it's just something to boost my ego. Yep. And I get there by having as few obstacles as possible. Because obstacles ruin it. Yeah, you know that makes it bad. Uh, I, I just effortlessly achieve ego boosts for the rest of my life. That would be a good life, you know. Um, and I, I dig that. I understand that. I, I don't judge that. I'm not belittling that. I'm not. I'm not criticizing that in any way. Yeah. Uh, here's why I'm not because I know how little that would do for you you know i i know i i i've done the math on that i think and i've i've had things in my life that were ego boosts and they were very nice i mean there you know if you if you uh open the newspaper and you see your picture in there and they're saying nice things about you it feels good it's a nice feeling and you say well you know this is uh these are those moments where you say you know i it's you know it's nice, sure. Uh, but then I got I still have all the same problems. So you know that was it was a good thing. You enjoy it for what it is, but it doesn't transform your life. It's just a nice little ego boost. And now we're moving on to other things. And by the way, there's a hundred things waiting to take your ego down several notches. So that's life. You know <laughs> this is you know this is how this goes. Uh, also, most things that would boost your ego require overcoming a massive number of obstacles. So the idea of putting those two together is kind of never going to work. <laughs> so if you're if you're saying that life is not for you, you're absolutely right. That life isn't for anybody because no one can have yep. a steady stream of ego boost without without overcoming obstacles. Uh, but if you're open to the idea of overcoming obstacles and you want to have a meaningful life. Yep. Now you've got something you definitely can get a hold of. God mm. wants a meaningful life for you. We want it for you. It can be had. It's not difficult. You will have to overcome obstacles, however. And I want to zoom in on that point really quickly uh, here for a second, because I I talked to, Jed and I were having this conversation recently, but a surprising number of people I talk to, I will tell them about the ministry, tell them about what we go through, what 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 sort of successes we've had and what sort of uh you know cool achievements we've had and at some point I'll offhandedly say uh but but as you might imagine our our bridge service for example has been hit with every possible obstacle and headache and meltdown and problem you could imagine and they're always shocked to hear that it's always like really, really? i don't i i can't picture that i mean i picture a successful thing is a thing that isn't fraught with a million things going wrong. Um, it, it is a really successful ministry. We're all privileged to be a part of it, but everything goes wrong every week. 
<laughs> the success is the thing that we grab the whole world that it exists in by the throat and make it give us success. That's how success is achieved. It is not, you know, we set it in motion and it's been coasting in a successful direction all this time. That's that's almost insane to me. There's no way anything does it that way. But it's also true that the obstacles change us. They make us stronger and smarter. Mm. They cause us... Almost everything we talk about with, with this bridge program, for example, starts as this is a problem we want to solve, and it becomes, why weren't we doing this anyway because it'd make it better? Yep. You know, why weren't we thinking about changing this? Why weren't we thinking of doing this differently? Because now that we think of it, it would be better now. So every problem becomes sort of a stimulus to, to something positive. So it's the grain of sand that becomes the pearl, and that's so the obstacles are a positive part of that process of having a meaningful life. Final little point on that: you are spirit, and only things of the spirit will satisfy you. Uh, if you're looking for a good mm. life that involves physical things, things of this world, you'll enjoy it. You, if you buy a brand new Ferrari, you'll enjoy it. There's no question about that. I'm I'm not I'm not trying to to discount that, but I'm saying it won't satisfy you because right. you are you are spirit, and only things of the spirit can satisfy you. That is a really fantastic point, and very important to go about here. And Jed, I really loved a lot of what Glenn's bringing out there, especially this idea of definitions. Mm-hmm. So uh, defining our terms is always important when we're talking about kind of achieving something, obtaining something, which is what we're talking about here. And something uh, in the same way that kind of positive and negative and trouble and success can be nebulous terms that can lead to problems. So can things like good life. Yeah. Uh, what what role does definitions have in this? Well, I think in a sense it's everything. Um, I, I think if you don't have a clear idea of what a good life would be, it may be pretty hard to hit it. Uh, so that's super yeah. important. And I think it's really worth asking who is informing your idea of a good life? Because if it's coming from people who, who love you uh, and care about you and know you, then maybe, you know, there's some valuable intel there. If it's coming from professional marketers, yeah. they just want to sell you stuff, dude. Yeah, that's right. And there's, there's nothing wrong with the marketing industry, but uh, – their goal is not for you to have a good life. Their goal is for you to buy stuff. That's it, man. Yeah. They're, they're selling products and services. So I think we need to be very, very clear on, on what a good life is. I'll give you an example of this. When I talk to people who are having what they would describe as not a good life, you know, just things suck. Everything sucks. You know, one of the questions that we often talk about together is if, if you had a magic wand in, you know, six months from now, a year from now, whatever, your life could kind of look however you want. What would it look like? And here's, I'm going to give you um, a, a, a random sampling of answers that I get, but I bet you can find the commonality. Well, I want to not be broke. I want to not be tired. I want to not be stressed out. I want to not be out of shape. I want to not be poor. I want to not be unpopular. If you go through that, it's all to the negative. Every bit of it, It, none of it. And this isn't a power of positive thinking thing. That's not what I'm talking about. But what I'm saying is it's a list of things I don't want to be true of my life. 
which is fine. That's that's no problem. Um, but that's not super actionable. If you say, for example, I want to not be bored. Okay, that's that's fine. In what ways would you like to be engaged then? What what do you suppose would be of interest to you? Do you want to be entertained? Do you want to be terrified? Terrified people are not bored. Um, we need to be way, way more specific here. If you if your goal is to be entertained, we can pursue that. We we actually can't pursue not bored. That's that's not a thing. But again, most people, most of the time, if you if you say describe to me the life you want, it's a list of the things they don't want, which is fine as a place to begin. But we very quickly need to move into things that are actionable, things that are pursuable, so to speak. Offer one more thing on this. I think that in our culture, there are probably four prevailing visions of what a good life would be in a big picture sense. And let's run through them really quickly. The first is what I think most very, very wealthy people are on, which is ease. I just want everything yeah. to be easy and comfortable all the time. That's that's the thing that I'm shooting for. That's 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 what a good life would be to me. If we go to the exact opposite end of the socioeconomic scale, what we find is I'm just trying to get by, man. I'm just trying to to make it one day to the next. And, and we we work with a lot of people for whom that is that is the goal. That is the thing. And then kind of in between, there's a goal that is actually common in both groups, which is I want to show all the haters, all the people who thought I couldn't, I want to show them. That's, that's the big picture thing that I I want for my life. And here's what I can tell you. We we work with a diverse range of people. None of those goals work. Mm. Ease doesn't work because everybody has problems. Absolutely. Everybody. Um, I want to just get by. doesn't work for the exact same reason. Um, and there's, there's something about that being your goal where that really doesn't work out. And then the, I, I'm going to show all of them. No one cares. Mm -hmm. The people you want to show don't care like at all. The only goal that I have seen as a big picture life goal actually work for people, which is exactly where Glenn started us is a meaningful life. I want a life that, yeah. that means something. I want a life that is about more than myself. I want a life that it, even in some small in some small way makes the world a better place. That's that's what I want my life to be. The people that I know for whom that is their vision of a good life, those are consistently the most satisfied, the most well-adjusted, the most healthy, the most contented people that I know. And and, yeah. and in fact, that's exactly where the Bible lands on this. It says that godliness with contentment is great gain. Um, I think that's God's idea of a good of a good life is godliness with contentment. Contentment comes from pursuing meaning in our lives again, even in, in small ways. But that's how we get there. I think that's a great point. And Lee, I'd love to get you to, to close out here. I think that this really bridges the the thing we were talking about earlier with the practicalities of this. So again, as all these guys are saying, a good life is going to be about spirit things as Glenn's talking about, about things as deep as meaning and things like that, that Jed is talking about, but those things are going to be manifested in practical daily boots on the ground ways. And so how do we start on those little things that may not give us all the meaning that we want ever in our life, but we can start having a little more of that as we move towards the bigger things. 
I think that's a really good question. I, I, one thing I do think that is really interesting is that, like when when uh, you know when Jed describes the uh, the the goal of ease or the goal of showing the haters or uh, the goal of you know whatever whatever these big different goals are, they're you know, when you combine that with some of the things that Glenn was saying in his answer of, you know, you're only going to be satisfied with spirit things, it's almost like everybody is finding roundabout ways of aiming at the same stuff. There's a deep thing inside of the idea of ease, which is peace. There's a spirit thing behind that idea of ease. If I'm aiming at ease, I'm I'm not going to be satisfied. As Jed says, everybody has problems. But what if you could be a person who has peace? If you have peace, then uh, you, you might not have ease, but there's a, the, it's almost like the, the, the best intention behind a person who is seeking ease is really looking for peace. Someone who knows how to take a storm and, and, and turn the ship into the storm in the right way to bear that storm, to keep the sails up and to, and to make it through to the other side with that kind of transcendent peace. There is a spirit thing that we could aim for in there. The really, really cool thing, and, and I'm going to say this, it's going to sound trite. I don't mean it to be trite in any way. I'm, I'm completely sincere about this. The really, really cool thing about having a personal relationship with the God of the universe is you can cut out every step that people are going to find, to, to achieve peace, and you can just ask for it. You can just ask him. I... Am, I am feeling a lot of drama and a lot of stress and a lot of strain in my life. I would love for you to give me peace as a gift from your spirit. Would you just give me peace and then start to receive it? Um, this is a really interesting thing that the, the, the things that people are trying to seek, what if the God of the universe is simply offering those things to you? And he wants you to ask for them and he wants you to receive them and not try to earn them or figure them out. Now, within that, as you said, Matt, there's there are boots on the ground things that I can do that that are going to that are going to help that process along. And one of the things that I would say is in the middle of, you know, everybody trying to have a good life. I love this idea of defining what that means. Um, If I define that by like, I want peace, I want joy. I want meaning. I want to. I want it to matter that I was here. That kind of a thing. Um, those kinds of things. There, there are real things I can do about that. Now, I can receive peace and joy um, from from the Lord as a gift because these are these are the virtues that he's that he has an unlimited supply and he can just give those to me. But I can stop that process by having certain things or certain relationships or certain uh, reactions in my life that stop up that process or that block those things from coming to me. So one of the things that I might want to look at strategically, kind of like, as you said, Matt, and to borrow your phrase, just kind of a boots on the ground, what do I need to do is I might need to talk to the Lord about what are the things in my life today that are blocking me from receiving the joy and the peace that you want to flood into my life right now. Um, Romans chapter 5 says that the, that the Holy Spirit is always pouring out the love of God into my heart. Um, if I'm not feeling that, why? What, what, what's, what's stopping that process? Is it certain relationships? Is it certain behaviors or actions? Is there something that I could change right now today? And what would the Lord say about that, 
about that whole situation if I were to take that to him. If I were to take an inventory of my life and the way I spend my time and, the, and what I'm doing in my, uh, you know, uh, in, in my alone time or, or my, the sleep I'm getting or the food I'm eating or the conversations I'm having, all that kind of stuff. If I were to look at that and say, what's holding me back from having all of the things that the Lord wants me to have right now? And how could I change that? And then um, I want to find some meaning. I want to find somebody that needs some help, and I want to help them today. It might be a tiny thing. It might be a small thing. Like It might be a text of encouragement. I'll tell you this. You might feel like, and, and I would encourage you, as soon as you turn this podcast off, Ask the Lord to put somebody in your life on your heart and send them an encouraging text message. Tell them you're praying for them. Tell them you love them. That simple. You can even borrow those exact sentences. Here's the thing I can promise you. I have received that text message this week, and it meant a whole lot to me. I mean, the person who sent it, it took them 40 seconds to compose that message and hit the little blue send button. But to randomly receive an encouragement and some of, uh, you know, that attention and that affection from somebody that cares about me was a huge deal. Let's start small. Let's start there. Let's show some people, um, you know, just turn your attention to somebody, reach out to them, show some affection and love, tell somebody you're praying for them, or ask them, how can I pray for you? God wants you to have peace. He wants you to have joy. He wants you to experience his love. And as you start knocking down the things that are getting in the way of that, you're going to receive it more. And then that's going to give you that energy and, and that fired upness you need to go ahead and reach out and change somebody else's day, which is going to give you that meaning piece. That's all really fantastic stuff. And I, I love the practicalities of that. Uh, I, I would close this out by, by adding one small thing to that, which is um, we talk on the show a lot about the, the importance of achievable goals. So a good life is a great long-term goal. It is not an achievable goal from day to day. What we can look at is better. If you want to do something better to, tomorrow than you did it today, you can do that. If you, you're not going to transition directly into a peaceful life. You can have more peace than you did yesterday. You're not going to transition directly into a joyful life. You can have more joy than you did yesterday. And a real practical way that might look like, you know, not losing your temper about something or laughing something off or taking a moment to, as Lee say, and send off the 45 second text message. That's going to be you doing more service today than you did yesterday on your way to having a life that is full of service and helping people. A good life is kind of one of those things. And we, we, you know, our friends in, in uh, addiction recovery talk about, you, one day at a time and just string together a series of days. One days is how you get to months, years, decades of sobriety. A good life is kind of the same thing. Um, it's stringing together a bunch of over time, a bunch of time of getting better at stuff and doing more of the good stuff. And over time that amounts to what we would call a good life or a meaningful life or a deep life. But from a day to day that really just looks like little, almost imperceptible tweaks. It's 30 seconds more of this, five minutes less of that. But over time, those really build up, and you, you will have the good life that God wants for you. All right, remember our final question here. It comes in anonymously, and it says, How should I react when people try to Bible me? Smack them. That's definitely one <laughs> way to go. 
We have, and they have our question askers very helpfully included a parenthetical definition Ooh. to Bible using a Bible verse to make someone feel bad or shut down a conversation. Mm. I think most of the time they are wrong in what they are trying to convince me the Bible says, but I don't really care if they're right or not. Is that the right attitude? And Jed, how does one deal with the Bibling? Well, I don't know if it's the right attitude or not, but I'm with you. I feel the exact same way. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. you got a friend in me. But you know what? Let's do it. Let's Bible this thing, y'all. Yeah. You ready for Woo! Bible time? Bible it up. Woo! Hey! <laughs> Can we back to the emergency? Bible time is not the worst name for the restaurant. Sure. Just okay, throw that yeah. out there. I'm about to Bible it. We're turning to Titus. Whoa. Who here is excited about the book of Titus? Nobody. <laughs> Though, give, hey Netflix, give me a Kimmy Schmidt spinoff Off called "Turning to Titus," and I'm watching. Yeah, for sure. All right, so we're in the book of Titus. We're in the third chapter, the ninth verse. You know, what? let's go full Bible. The Epistle of Saint Paul Whoa. to Titus mm, in the third wow. chapter ah. and the ninth verse. Okay, I'm reading here from the ISV. But avoid foolish controversies, mm, interesting arguments about genealogies, quarrels, and fights about the law. You know, I'm not clear what all that means. Maybe if I'll keep reading, it will it'll clear up any confusion. Oh, oh it does. The word of God says, and I quote, these things are useless and worthless. But like good. Useless like <laughs> and worthless. But that's probably like like a one-time thing. Probably didn't really mean it. So, no, wait, let's turn now to the book of 1 Timothy, the fourth chapter, the seventh verse. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Nothing to do. Right. Yeah, so if but we... The, but it does say that the Lord's servant should be quarrelsome, right? No, and I'm glad that you brought that up, because on our journey through Bible Town, that actually takes us to our next couple of verses. <laughs> it's ex- Also, Bible Town, not a bad name for the restaurant. I'm just trying to keep a list going. In the spirit right. of don't do what Donnie don't does, <laughs> we want to not be involved in dumb quarrels and stupid fights that are, to quote God's word, useless and worthless. We want to not do that. Instead, for example, Philippians 4, 5, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Ah, interesting. Colossians 3, 12, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. We could go on, and we will. Now, we'll stop there. All right, here's here's the thing is, first of all, the Bible is clear that um, senseless, useless arguments about minutia uh, in the Bible, you actually should not be a part of. Um, I'm not sure of another way to read those verses. Right. Uh, the other thing is it has a lot to say about your conduct, that, that you should be marked by gentleness and compassion and respect. So... Um, I think it's worth asking with the people that want to Bible you, are they approaching you with gentleness and respect? Because if they're not, dude, this isn't about the Bible to begin with. This is a person that just wants to argue about stuff, and the Bible is the thing that they happen to feel like they they want to argue about. And I think it's worth looking that they're choosing that actually on purpose. I mean, they, they may have some degree of interest in religious matters, and that's 
that's fine. In as much as it empowers them to be a jerk. But that's really the thing of it is they found something where it feels like you have to engage with me on this because it's sacred. You have to have this fool's argument with me because it's holy to do that. And you don't. Um, you, you, you know, you said my attitude is I don't really care if they're right or not. Is that the right attitude? And I, again, I say to you, I don't know if it's the right attitude or not, but I'm, I'm right there with you. But the thing of it is you shouldn't have the fool's argument either way. Um, yeah. you know, whether I don't care if they're right or not is the right attitude. Either way, we shouldn't be having this because this isn't about the Bible. Uh, this is a person who's not showing that godly character and they're trying to kick off something the Bible's explicitly telling you not to do. It's telling you not to have useless, pointless fights because they're useless and pointless. I would offer one more thing, which is suppose that there was someone who saw you. Um, I'm going to I'm going to pick something that could really lead a person down the path to perdition. So, you know, we're about to get serious. We've had a lot of fun today, but now it's time. Have we? <laughs> no. Somebody sees you reading a Harry Potter book. And in their heart of Uh hearts, witchcraft, that's right. In their heart of hearts, they think I need to get in there. I need to save that soul. That's somebody uh, hanging by naught but a gossamer thread over the fires of damnation. I need to get in there and I need to Bible (laughs) them. All right. Um, You know, in in some parts of this book, they let the ladies teach the boys. That's the greatest (laughs) sin of them all. (laughs) But let's suppose that that happened. I think that. We could have um, uh, a begrudging, perhaps, but a respect for someone who says, I'm going to build a relationship with this person. I think that they are playing with things they shouldn't be playing with. I think it's going to have a negative effect on their life. But the only possible way for me to, in a godly sense, set them straight is to build a love and trust-based relationship over a period of time where we have a bond of friendship and kinship in the Lord, where I've earned the right to speak into their life. And then once we have gotten to that point, I, I will mention to them my grave concerns about their preferences in young adult literature. Again, we could have a begrudging respect for that approach, but but two things. The first is, if they got to know you and they built that relationship, there is there's no problem here. We can we can throttle back. The second is, yeah. I've never ever seen anyone do that ever, literally ever. Yeah. Every person that I've personally known, and I've known a lot. I grew up in the <laughs> South as a preacher's kid. Every person I've ever known who wanted to Bible someone was not a about to put in an ounce of effort past going up to them and quoting Bible verses. They weren't going to get to know you. They weren't going to build a relationship with you. They weren't even going to pretend to be gentle and respectful. They were just going to go up and let her rip and see what happens. Walk away, man. That's, I I believe that not only is that the functional thing, I believe the Bible's clear. That's the godly thing for you to do. I think it's a great point. Um, And Lee, let's, let's go to, because obviously uh, Jed is absolutely right. So let's put some let's put some some skin on this. There are also people, this can get a little more complicated, who do know you. Knowing is different than earning the right to be heard. These could be family yeah. members, these could be, you know, people in your general orbit, these could sometimes even be people at church. So they do know you. There is some kind of relationship there, and they want to build to the Bibling. Again, this is a different thing than what Jed has laid out for us of building actual trust and actual earn. But it's kind of, well, you know, I said, and then, and then but, but you can kind of just see their dead eyes as you talk to them as they think about how hard they're going to Bible you and how great it's going to feel. 
So how do we deal with people who know us, but haven't earned that right and want to jump in anyway? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. And the thing that I would say is that not everybody in your life gets a VIP pass. Um, the, the, ter- the term that I use when I talk to people about this is uh, credentialing. I don't want to give everybody in my life credentials. I don't want to give everybody um, a backstage pass. I don't tell everybody I know all the information about my emotions and my struggles in my life and all that kind of stuff. I have a small group of people who, as Matt said, people who have actually earned the right to know me at a deep, deep level, who have earned the right to to ask me about my life, to call me out on stuff if they see it, to push back and they and they handle that with respect. They handle that with gentleness, exactly as Jed's saying, quoting those verses. But outside of that circle, outside of those people who really have put in the time, who really have put in the effort, and we have walked through some stuff together, I'm not going to hand out a backstage pass to everybody. I think there is a there is a feeling in especially in Christian culture that everybody means well. And everybody's trustworthy, and everybody probably has a point, especially if they're real sincere and earnest. Here's the deal. They don't always mean well. They don't always have a point, and they sometimes cannot be trusted. And so I don't need to trust everybody to give me advice. I don't need to trust everybody with all of my viewpoints. I don't need to tell everybody all of the difficulties that I'm facing because they will sound off and they will say stupid, stupid, stupid things. And I've got to be careful about who I really show all my cards to. Um, Yeah, don't credential everybody. Um, Don't give everybody the same status as some wise teacher who has has the ability to know everything about you and tell you how to to handle your situations. And I want to make sure that I that I don't give everybody the credentials to be able to stir me up emotionally. Um, Not everybody that knows me has the right to speak into these things. And that means exactly as the way Jed ended this. It ended when he answered. That means that you may have to excuse yourself from situations. You may have to just excuse yourself from conversations. Um, but what I would say is it's worth it. And courtesy does not mean that you need to be everybody's punching bag all the time. And by the way, um, when you read through the Gospels, you find that there were certain people that Jesus did not meet with, and there are certain people that Jesus did not answer when he was in their presence talking to them. And that's a really important thing. There were times when Jesus had family members who were misbehaving, calling him out, and he simply did not engage. And that's a good thing for us to remember, that there are times when the godly thing to do is to not engage and to not respond. There was a time when, uh, when somebody was telling Jesus that Herod, uh, King Herod wanted to see him. You know, this is a big, you know, big, important you know, guy and everybody does whatever he says and everybody kowtows and everything. And Jesus's response was, you tell that fox that I'm going to teach today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I'm going to be in Jerusalem. I'm keeping my own schedule here and I'm not meeting with him. And it's one of these shocking things of like, dang, Jesus said that? Yeah. When he stood in Herod's presence, he did not say one word to this dude. 
because you don't need to credential everybody. And not everybody gets the same rights. Not everybody gets the same backstage pass. And I think we need to get better at that. Not everybody has a point. Not everybody's trustworthy. And not everybody means well. And it's okay for you to to be heads up about that and to have your eyes wide open about that fact. That's a very, very important point and a really well-made one. And Glenn, let me get you close out of here. I think there's another thing going on here on top of what these guys have given us. And it is an underlying attitude that we, it's one of those things that we talked about this a last a little bit on the last couple of shows that seems right. And if, but if you go to an exam, it can really wreck our, our whole situation here. And it, it is this idea, the idea that regardless of the context of someone's life or the entirety of scripture from any source, just this random little bit of truth, this little nugget of truth can be thrown out there, and because it's got Bible around it, it has to be evaluated differently than anything else this crazy person would tell you. Right. How do we inoculate ourselves against that concept? Well, first of all, uh, that's how heresy is put together. Uh, And and I'm talking about Mm. a Sunday school answer that I was taught when I was in grade school, that heresy is not the opposite of what Scripture is saying. Heresy isn't, hey, worship Satan. Heresy happens when you take a Bible verse and isolate it from the other Bible verses around it, and then you use that in order to twist its meaning to justify whatever it is you're trying to say, and use it as a trump card in an argument or, or a trump card to manipulate people into doing something. That's, that's what heresy is. That's, that's, that's anti-biblical. That's the very definition of it is taking scripture and uh, isolating it and uh, uh, building something around that while not letting the rest of scripture comment on it. Uh, That's exactly what Satan did to Jesus. He quoted the Bible to Jesus. Jesus was Bibled in exactly the same way (laughs) you are being Bibled, and (laughs) Satan was the one who did it. So... Uh, and quoted know. scripture accurately. Yeah, that's didn't right. Didn't misquote it, didn't no, mistranslate no, 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 yeah. it, said exactly word for word what was in that book. That's that's exactly my point, that uh, you think maybe as you listen to this that heresy is misquoting the Bible or twisting things or turning them or whatever have you. It's generally, I mean, 99.9% of the time, heresy is, I've taken this real Bible verse but I'm quoting it out of context. I'm not explaining all this stuff around it. I'm not acknowledging everything else that's in Scripture. Here's a Bible verse that says something about somebody doing a particular lifestyle. Here's an entire book that says love all these people. You ignore the whole book in order to hold up this one Bible verse. That's exactly what Satan was trying to do with Jesus. I'm sorry, I was busy swallowing a camel. What did I miss? Right, exactly right. Uh, that's, that's, that's exactly what Jesus says. You strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. You're, you, you, you will focus on a little thing obsessively, but you will do all this evil stuff and buy into all this evil stuff because you're just looking at one thing. Now, it's important to look at the context of that. Of where does that why does that happen? In, in what circumstances does that happen? It's when I have a cultural thing that I've bought into, whether that's a political culture, whether that's 
a culture of a manipulation, you know, religious manipulation kind of a cultural situation. It could be just, uh, you know, uh, the 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 generation that I'm in or whatever those things are. But when you look at, at the New Testament, every time somebody's on some form of heresy where they're twisting things and they're overly focused on one thing, they're ignoring all the rest of it, it's they're, they're trying to justify their own cultural interpretation of what is godly. They're not trying to apply the whole of Scripture to that situation. I want to ask you another question, paralleling uh, some of the, the questions that Jed was getting you asked. You know, Jed was asking, you know, are, are these people asking you things with gentleness and respect? I want to ask you, along those exact same lines, were they trying to Bible you into being more filled with grace and love and forgiveness? <laughs> yeah, I bet they weren't, were they? That's the cornerstone of Scripture. If somebody's working you away from grace and forgiveness, and we have a phrase we use around here, a yeah but. And a, a yeah but is you, you're making a point and you're right, but the other person is, yeah, but what about this? And yeah, but what about that? I can and I can and I have put things on the internet about grace that are bedrock cornerstone central tenets of Christianity. Right. The, the the thing it's all built on. Yeah, but and uh, people will yeah but that. I mean, so true. They will My yeah name. but that the most. Exactly. So uh, you're doing that because there's you're part of a cultural or political or some kind of other movement, and you're trying to downplay the central tenet of Christianity in order to uphold one thing that is at, built on an isolated scripture. That's what Satan was doing with Jesus. That's what heresy is. That's how you get unbiblical. So... Uh, you're you're not getting me on on this uh, idea of uh, quoting one thing and focusing on one thing while ignoring the larger whole. Jesus says the exact same thing. He sa- or excuse me, this is the Book of James. It says the exact same thing. He says, "For whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it." Yeah, it's this idea of. You're either in this thing or you're not in this thing. It's either you're living by it or you're not living by it. You can't take one thing off to the side and say, well, I'm holding this up. You can't throw it out because it's in the Bible. You can't, you can't, you can't, you can't give any exceptions to that. You can't even, and you're saying, no, that one thing you're isolating needs to fit down into a framework of many other things the Bible is saying, and it needs to be interpreted in that context. That is to say, I'm not fit to interpret the Bible. You're not fit to interpret the Bible. Only the Bible is fit to interpret itself. So that means if you're going to quote me a verse about witchcraft or homosexuality, you're going to quote me a verse about my lifestyle or somebody else's lifestyle, whatever those things are, that you are wound up on a cultural thing. If you want to do that, you need to be able to, and be comfortable with all the rest of Scripture coming in and commenting on that thing that you're saying, because it all needs to agree with each other. That's a fantastic point. Um, and one of the things we we talk about uh, up here in Chicago is the idea and the power. I'm going to give this to you. It's a rhetorical device. Um, 
just know. As you point out in the thing, uh, and all these guys are absolutely right, and Glenn is right, for any kind of nonsense thing, this kind of person is going to try to guilt you or manipulate you in, that's not what the Bible means. It's important for you to know that for yourself. This one sentence from this one chapter, from this one book, is not free reign to go around hating this group of people. It doesn't mean you should actually feel bad about yourself instead of living in the freedom that's described on almost every other page of that book. It's important for you to know that. You can write into us. You can send out the pastor. You can read a good, uh, a good Christian commentary about that. That's awesome. To that person, it would be fruitless for you to try to convince them of that. Because yeah. right. here's the thing. They know. Yeah, yeah. That's why they're working so hard to Bible you. They're tr- pretty much every argument. It's it's one of those things you learn kind of you hear in like a grade school kind of thing. But as Glenn's talking about some of this, it really turns out to be true. People are trying to convince themselves. Yeah, yeah. When they say this kind of stuff. Yeah. So you don't need to be in and convince them of something else. As as Jed will often say when we we something crosses our face, we read or somebody says something. It's like no, and not in a like I'm evaluating what you're saying and I'm rejecting. Just Full stop, holistically, no to right. all of this. Right. I'm not doing it. I'm not getting involved with it. We're not having an argument where like I'm not doing any, I'm not gonna do anything to indicate that what you said merits thought or response or consideration. <laughs> and you know yeah. it doesn't, because you didn't just say your opinion. Right. You tried to put the Bible on it mm-hmm. so that I had yeah. to give it merit or consideration. Right. If you believed in what you were saying, you could have just said it. Yeah. We, I, I, we're going along. I'm close out of this. The idea that uh, just the most pure Christian bit of wisdom is a Bible verse by itself is, as Glenn is saying, antithetical to both what Scripture says and to what good ministry is. Jesus, as, as Lee was talking about, Jesus spends a lot of time telling the people who he's going to have delivered this message, here's how you have to carry yourself. Here's the way you have to approach people because that matters in what we're doing here. The way you talk to someone matters. The way you relate to their life matters. If, if you maybe listen to our Bridge podcast, you'll hear quite often, we will go eight minutes of a 10-minute sermon talking about the psychological realities and the emotional realities and the lived experience of the people in that room. And then the end of it is, and here's what the Bible has to say about that. Cause we're not starting yeah. out with just boom, the Bible says it, you got to do it. I, it is incumbent on me as the person trying to help you to convince you that this is the right thing to do. And because it would work and it would help and you would feel better and then let you know that Jesus is on that too, by the way. This good idea you and I have come up with together, that's what Jesus wants for you, so we can go do that in his power. That's what someone actually trying to make an argument to help you move on in your life and see some wisdom looks like, as opposed to just throwing out the Bible verse. All right, if you have a question for us, say at podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. You can also scroll down into your episode description and find those links. And check out the song this week. This is from our June edition of Bridgebox from some young folks helping lead out down there at yeah. Christ Community Church called I Come to You. Take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. The Say That themed restaurant would have awesome desserts because the endings are always amazing. <laughs> <laughs>
心。